This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Emperor Chong's Feline Finishing School. Is your kitty cantankerous? Is your muggy a mischievous monster? Teach her how to be a good girl in the garden and become a five-time triple champion at Emperor Chong's Feline Finishing School. Now accepting gingers. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Do Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? <laughs> A year and a half later, and it still makes me giggle every time you respond. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Unanimous. How are you? Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. I'll have what he's having. Um, <laughs> yay! So, we have an interesting episode today, and we have a bit of a milestone in Are You Being Served episodes. Do we not, Mr. Jeff? It's the Series 9 finale! <laughs> Although some people I would know. be happy that it's going away. But that also means we just have one more season, and that's so sad, I, right? I know. But fear not, listeners. As we have talked about, after we get through the first 10 series of the main show, we will do a couple of special episodes, and we are going to do Are You Being Served Again? Stroke Grace and Favor. So we're not going away anytime soon. I, I fear for our personal safety if we said, you know what, <laughs> we're not going to do Grace and Favor. Because we've had, in fact, just a couple days ago, um, we had an email about it. So there will be pitchforks all around northern Mississippi. We would have to lock ourselves in northern Mississippi compound. We'll have to go to the, the deepest bunker we have at the compound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're not going anywhere for a while, dear listeners. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, we've been interacting with our lovely unanimous fans uh, online. Have we not? We have. We have indeed, Mr. Brandon. Oh, yes, yes, we have. Yes, yes. We've uh, got a bunch of new fans on Facebook, Nikki, Carla, Trisha, Robert, Mark, Dixie, and Kathy. Hello. Um, we've been hearing some cool folks on Twitter as well, and hello to the Twitter people. And, of course, we just um, hit a, a very important milestone, and I, we, we celebrated um, quite auspiciously. Is that the word here at um, That Does Do Madam headquarters in northern Mississippi? Um we had a big old sheet cake from the Walmart down the street um, <laughs> because September the 8th was the birthday of Are You Being Served? It was the... The 49th anif- birthday. Yeah, yeah, so next year will be a big one. Um, September the 8th, 1972, or the 8th of September, um, <laughs> was the first time Are You Being Served ever saw the light of day or, I guess, the light of TV screens. Um, Comedy Playhouse was on the BBC... And Jeff, what happened? Wasn't there like a snap? There was something happening at it the was, Olympics, right? Right. It was the, the Munich Olympics. And this was the unfortunate terrorist incident when they, you know, and they needed to preempt the Olympics and they needed to slot something else in. They had this in the can and played it and it was a hit. Yeah. They, so essentially they had, I think they canceled the Olympics or something like several days of yeah. programming it was gone. So the BBC was like looking at each other like, what do we do? Even though they don't sound like um, Scooby-Doo, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> what do we do, George? What do we do? Yeah. But um, that's they had the stuff. That's, that's Barney. No. 
Wait a second. That that was a very Barney Rubble voice. Hey, hey, boo boo. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, that's and I'm supposed somehow that's coffee. That in does my brain. suit. That does suit Hanna Barbera. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, boo boo. You want to get some picnic baskets at the BBC? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, just I've had some tea, so you can tell the caffeine's working. But um, the uh, yeah, the BBC had like all this stuff kind of laying around and. That we're going to air it later in the year, I think. And they just said, hey, put that comedy playhouse thing on. And it was essentially, I think they, the BBC kind of does this too, where they'll film a bunch of different ideas and kind of air it mm-hmm. to see what sticks. And maybe that was a thing in the 70s. But um, one of those programs was Are You Being Served? And yeah. it was originally aired in black and white. Or no, it was it aired in color, but then the footage no, was... It was aired- it was aired in black, black and white. And, white. Yeah. and it was really cool because that's the pilot episode. And through technology, they found a color copy of it. So that's, if you ever see a color version of um, Are Being Served, the pilot, the way they got the color is something about the way it was transmitted, the original black and white. They had a copy of the original broadcast of the black and white version. But somehow they found, like, the color embedded in the data. And they were able to, like translate it into a color thing, which I think is so cool. Yeah, this isn't one of those examples where they colorized it all at Ted Turner. Yeah. They actually did have a color copy, but I guess they were only transmitting in black and white uh, at that time. But yeah, it's cool that they somehow they had the data embedded in the broadcast or something that they didn't mean to do, but now modern technology was like, oh, we know what it would have looked like in the original color. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, so happy birthday, are you being served? We've also gotten some emails from our fans who emailed with some lovely things to say about our show and their show. Mr. Robert emailed in uh, with some notes about um, what our friend Maggie uh, said in a very famous speech. She, um, she used the J word. Yes, yeah, so that's Prime referred to the Thatcher. Japanese. She's no friend of mine, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but apparently there's a speech where, and it was very famous, and thank you for the email, Mr. Robert. Um, she referred to the Japanese people as the J word um, that they used. And he was referencing the, the recent episode monkey business where yep. the, sadly the, the are being served crew, uh, the staff throw the J a P word, which is very insensitive and kind of a racial slur. So we didn't say it on the show. Um, but of course they did. And uh, can you imagine like, a president or a prime minister, like, just throwing the word around? Uh, yeah, I can. Well, only besides <laughs> that one, we won't even go there. Um, yeah. Insane. So, yeah, thank you for the, um, for the uh, email. And, of course, he was one of the bloodthirsty, fervent people who demanded uh, grace and favor. So don't yep. worry, Mr. Robert, you don't have to sharpen up your pitchfork just yet. <laughs> we also got some great voicemails from previous guest Mr. Kyle, who is uh, a ham radio operator. Oh, yeah. And, we actually heard yeah. a voicemail from him, so let's play it now, shall we? Hello, Mr. Jeff and Mr. Brandon. This is Mr. Kyle here calling from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I wanted to provide some input on the Calling All Customers episode because CB radio was such a hot feature of it. So it turns out I am a licensed ham radio user or CB radio user, although I'm not actively doing it because it's a dying art But in the United States, at least, you can get licensed after like a six-night course, and the license is good for 10 years because it's a dying art, so they're desperate for new members. But 
If you ever feel like giving me a call, my call sign is KN4OEL. You've all done very well. Thanks, Mr. Kyle. Oh, my God. That was great to hear from you. And um, that's right, folks. If you have a ham radio and you want to speak to Mr. Kyle, famous superfan slash co-host of this fabulous podcast, um, his call sign is KN4OEL. And I don't know what that means, but I'm sure you do. So go reach out and touch him, <laughs> as it were. Ooh. Ooh. Don't know if I didn't know it was that kind of podcast. Yeah, that, it, maybe it's that kind of ham radio. I don't know. We also got uh, another voicemail from one of our listeners in the Netherlands. Yes, Miss Henrika. Hello. Uh, thank you for your voicemails. Um, let's listen to that, too. Hey, Mr. Brandon. Hey, Mr. Jeff. Uh, my name is Henrika from the Netherlands. Totally unpronounceable in English, but um, think drunk Mrs. Slocum, Henrika. I listen to your podcast almost every day on my way to work or from, uh, from work uh, walking home. You've all done very well, but I'm sure you know that. Uh, I love your show. Keep up the good work and uh, listen to you soon. Okay, bye. Dankuvel, Ms. Henrika. Yes, uh, thanks for calling the Peacock Hotline. Uh, which you hear ad nauseum at the very end of every episode that we try to push. <laughs> but it's cool that you listen to us on your commute. And we've also had some good news from our uh, accountants, have we not, Mr. Jeff? Cha-ching, yes. <laughs> Sell People out. are loving the T-shirts and the totes uh, that yeah, we're selling so in our bargain basement. So uh, when you get a chance, head on over to imfree.threadless.com and check out what's on offer today. We are literally for sale. <laughs> basically hashtag sellout so yeah. thanks for that uh and as always mr jeff uh we need to encourage everyone to wear a mask because the delta is there dang tick tick even if you've gotten vaccinated oh and get vaccinated right uh you need to wash your hands tick, tick. good and as always black, black lives, lives matter. matter and you've all done very well yeah yeah so take us into it what the hell are we listening to mr jeff Tonight, we are talking about Series 9, Episode 6, the finale, which is Lost and Found. And this episode originally premiered on the 27th of May, 1983. And that week in the news, at the top of the Billboard 100, we've got a new number one, Flashdance, What a Feeling, by Irene Cara. And then at the top of the UK singles charts, another new number one was Candy Girl by New Edition. You know, I don't know any of those. I was just going to ask if you recognize <laughs> either of those songs. Ooh, what a feeling. Da, da, da. No, that's the 70s. Yeah. That's a different song. I don't know. Candy girl. <laughs> I'm just making it up. I don't know. Um, so I have a question. So 1983, May of 1983, that's the week that this originally aired. Yes. Wh how much of a gap between the ninth and 10th season? Do you know? Yeah, so uh, the 10th season starts in 1985. Okay, so there's so like... So have got a, about a year and a half. Yeah, it seems kind of common. Like, in the 80s, it was like a year and a half between ser series. Yeah. Okay. All right. What else was going on that week? So, uh, Return of the Jedi, the second Star Wars movie, but the fifth in the series somehow, that was retconned. Uh, that premiered this That's week. That's the one where Spock dies. <laughs> right that's my line <laughs> you are the have you seen all of the star wars i mean i know that you're star trek aligned and there's a kind of rift in between star wars people and how star dare trek you people. bring that up again how dare you 
Um, but have you I have seen, seen all the you know, Star Wars? I, I, I liked I liked Star Wars, but I really really loved. Um, oh, what's the one where they don't have any of the original characters, and it was a prequel, and it had Princess Leia at the very end receive the chip from R two D two, and that was like the end of the movie, I which was no the idea. very beginning. Of the, the first one. Yeah, I can't remember, but it had the fabulous Mexican actor playing the lead. Anyway, that one was really cool. I really liked it. I like the newer ones a little bit more than the old ones. Return but... of the Jedi was the one with the Ewoks, right? Or was that I The Empire Strikes Back? I think so. We have so many people screaming at their I know, iPhones I know. <laughs> or whatever now. But Yeah. All right. So el- elsewhere in the news that week, um, France conducted a nuclear test. So oh. I, I had no idea that France even had nuclear weapons. I just thought it was U.S., Russia, and Korea, U.S. and Korea. Israel. And and Korea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I anyway, didn't know that either. So they've had nuclear weapons for quite some time. And in the 1960s, they moved their testing site from Algeria to French Polynesia. And that's why they ended up rebuilding the airport and French Polynesia, like Tahiti, Bora Bora, became Mm -hmm. a bigger tourist destination, right? So tourists obviously went there before that, if you think about the musical South Pacific, right? Yeah. People went there. But you had to plane hop. You had to go L.A. to Honolulu to Guam to Bora Bora or something like that. You couldn't go direct. With this bigger airport that could handle bigger jetliners – you can go direct from L.A. or San Francisco now to Papit for to, to Tahiti. So they were okay. So it's funny that France is like we're not going to test our bombs in France. Oh no! No, of course. Well, of course not. <laughs> of I mean, course at least not. at least at the states we we tested our thing. Well, we did the Bikini Atoll. That wasn't in the mainland, was it? That was like right. some little island somewhere. But yeah, but um, the Manhattan Project was like in the middle of Nevada or Arizona, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But so yeah, so France okay, said we're not doing we're not doing it in the hexagon. We're going to Algeria, and then they, in the sixties <laughs> they were like, all right, now let's go in the middle of the ocean, because we want to bring like lovely pineapple drinks with little French uh, French umbrellas on the top of it, and uh, a fabulous new airport. Yeah, well there you go. And also that week, Susan Lucci lost her fourth daytime Emmy. So <gasps> this is a, a trope that continues on like tragedy. Whenever you hear of someone that is continually nominated for something and a con- perpetual loser, they're called the Susan Lucci of X, right? Jeff, um, I thought we were going. We agreed to have like a, a negative, positive, <laughs> negative sandwich effect with this section of the podcast. Well, Obviously, here's the thing: okay. Susan Lucci did win. She finally won in 1999 with her 19th nomination. Congratulations, Susan Lucci. Maybe she's a listener. If you're, <laughs> let us know, Susan Lucci. Eric okay. Kane, please, if you're listening. Yes. yes indeed. All right. So, okay. So we know where we are. We know who we are. We thanked our people. Let's get into the episode. What happens the first scene? So we open in the middle of the day. Sometimes, you know, very often this season we've opened first thing so we can get a gag of everybody arriving. But it's the middle of the day and both Miss Brahms and Mr. Spooner are serving customers. And I immediately thought, where are the seniors? Mm-hmm. Right? Because they get first crack. And it's very unlike Miss Brahms to get two customers in a row. 
Well, Mr. Humphreys is brimsteaming. He's taking in the grand tradition of Mr. Granger, and he's teaching Mr. Spooner. He is Spooner. senior salesperson. It does That's come right. with the territory. That's right. So he's teaching Mr. Spooner how to care for the hats, how to brush out the nap and, and um, steam the brim. With that lovely wrist action. <laughs> <laughs> Within the first 30 seconds of the show, we already have our first queer joke, right? Yes. Love yeah. it. Um, and it turns out that Mr. Humphreys is a bit worried about Mrs. Slocum, who isn't in quite yet. Uh, it's after 11 a.m. She still isn't there. Rumbold calls the floor to check in. And um, Captain Peacock asks Miss Brahms to uh, ring Mrs. Axelby because she'll know where she is. But the line's been engaged all morning. And 11 o'clock is quite late. Like, people it, 10, 15 late. minutes. That happens every episode. But, like, 11 o'clock, wow. She's already, like, missed her 11, so she's already missed her mid-morning. No, no, because they go to their mid-morning coffee break soon after that. So I guess they have their 11s is at 11.30? I don't know. Uh, the, I was never good at math. I don't hmm. So when was the last time that you heard a telephone line being engaged? It's been quite a while, right? Um, wow. That's such a 21st century question, right? Right. Because, I mean, call waiting was invented in the 70s uh, by Dr. Shirley Jackson, who was a black woman working for AT&T Labs. Oh, cool. But it became pretty popular, at least here in the States, in the early 90s. And I feel like yeah. I feel like it was one of those things where all of a sudden the price came down so much that everybody had it. You know, it might even be standard nowadays where it's not something that you can like opt in or out or you you have to opt out of it if you didn't well, want it. Well, people don't even have phones anymore. They have cell phones, right? I mean, well, I mean, there are some people who still do have like internet landline phones like it's i think it's pretty impossible to get like a copper wire phone these days that would be interesting to like call i mean would you who would you call but who would you call right i remember even growing up like when cordless phones started to become a thing it was always good advice that you had a corded phone so that you could always call out in an emergency because if the power went out you'd still be able to use the telephone yeah but nowadays, if your power goes out and you wanted to use the telephone, who would you even call? Because other people don't have <laughs> corded copper wire phones. Yeah, it's 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 it. You know, it's funny. I saw something on Facebook just today that said it had a photo of a farmer in 1900, the year 1900, mm -hmm. and then um, Neil Armstrong on the moon in 1969. Right. Okay, and it was saying. Does anyone realize, you know what, I think it was actually uh, Mr. Kyle uh, posted on his Facebook. So, hello, Mr. Kyle. Um, it said something like, I don't think we realize how much the world changed from 1900 to 1969. That's 69 years. Well, I'll, right? do, you, I'll do you one better. Okay. Because I, I saw one with the Wright brothers, which was the 20s. That's the one I'm thinking of. We saw the same right. one. Yes. The Wright brothers and then the man on the moon. Yeah, that's right. That we, right. Yeah, and exactly. That was, that was a span of 50 years. And it was saying, so. like, look how much time has changed. And, like, when I think about when I was a kid, um, I remember, like, you couldn't call. Um, my mom would call a, a relative and call but hang up so it wouldn't actually connect. And if that happened, it, she knew that it was my mom calling, and then she would call my mom because somehow it was cheaper for her to do that. Right. Right? And, like, these weird things. And, like, life was on the phone. Like, and I do notice that, like, if you have, and I, like, say, like, all the time, like, all the time. <laughs> but 
I've noticed if you speak to someone who's like under 30, they don't talk on the phone. And if they do, they are like, eh, let's just text, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm a man of a certain age. And I'm nearly 40, you'll see. <laughs> and um, I like to talk on the phone. And like my friends who are like 40 and over, they do too. But if you're 35 and under, they're like, oh, I'm not going to talk to you. I'll text you. You know, because back then, like, we didn't have texting, we didn't have tapping, we didn't have internet, da-da-da. It was such a big deal. Like, the phone, like, you would do your shopping on the phone, right? You'd yep. call and, You'd like, call do you guys have this? And da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. You yeah. even called for time and temperature. Yep. God, That's true. That's true, yeah. So, Ms. Brahms finally gets through to Mrs. Axelby, and we get that trope where we get the one-sided phone conversation where the person repeats what they're hearing for the benefit of the audience, right? <laughs> yeah. Missing since Friday, last saw her on the roof of the pub, moth-eaten, black and white coat, bandy legs, no bottom teeth, and a limp, right? Well, that's no way to describe <laughs> Mrs. Slocum. And that's, and that's the gag, right? But it turns out that it's the cat that's missing. Oh, no. Um, Tittles has gone missing. And so my first thought when watching this was, oh, um, Tittles must be nearing the end of her life. Because she's at least like 12 or 13, right? Well, let's see. She would, when the 50th birthday episode happened, she was, the cat was eight years old, right? Because they figured out that last year she was seven. So oh, seven okay. times seven is 49 yeah. plus one is 50, right? So this is, a, this is a Jeff question that's being asked right now. And so when was the 50th birthday episode? Season two or three? Okay. So the cat's got to be 14, 15, somewhere around there, which is pretty old for a cat. And that's what I thought because cats um, tend to hide when they know that they're nearing the end of their life because, first of all, they don't know what's going on. They're not sentient enough to understand what death is. Uh, they just know that they need to conserve energy and they need to hide from predators. That's right. That's that does suit, Madam, the podcast <laughs> where we ponder the sentience of cats. But why not? Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember reading about that. I remember how I learned about that fact was um, reading the book Ramona Forever when I was a child. You know the Ramona, oh, Ramona. Quimby series. I remember yeah. those. Yeah. Right. And the last book in the series, she was 11 years old, and the cat that had been there throughout the whole series um, uh, passed away mm-hmm. when um, the parents were away. I don't remember if the parents went away for the night or they like went away for the day or something, and Ramona and her older teenage sister were home alone, and the cat died when they were home alone, and they had to Aww. like figure out how to take care of it and what to do. And that was, like, one of the things that I remember learning from from that book, yeah. Well, I've got a question. Now, talking about timelines and ages of cats, um, and I think I've posited this before. Um, Now, this is a weird one, so hold hold on, hold your hats here. That's very unusual for us. It's very very unusual for me, isn't it? Um, Do you think that Are You Being Served existed in its own universe? So that while to us in the real world... 10, 15 years have passed, right? Because 1985 is the last season, right? It started in 1972, ends in 1985. Do you think in the world of Are You Being Served, maybe their passage of time is not concurrent with ours? So maybe it could be just one year. Well, no, because then they have different episodes with Christmas, right? But I don't know. I wonder because sometimes when... (laughs) We're such weird nerds, at least I'll say I am, that, oh, there's a discrepancy about the timing or, 
you know, there, there's not five floors. There's only three floors. Oh, well, let's think of a way that this could actually be okay. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's a great question, right? Because you think about, like, think about, um, all right, first of all, animated episodes like The Simpsons, uh, right? Yeah. There's no passage of time there. Um, if you think about The 70s Show, The 70s Show, um, actually, the, the duration of the program was one year longer than its series like so i think it went like from in like the show you mean i think it went from like 75 to 79 okay but the, in the show but it was like for six series like something like that so it's a perfectly cromulent question to use another simpsons word um mm. i think i think it is in real time i think when it was airing in 1983 it was supposed to be 1983 in the store because they would talk about current events and they talk about the current prime minister uh, and things yeah, like that. That's true. However, uh, the, the, you get a ding for that. The reboot, which aired <gasps> in 2016, 16 took mm-hmm. place in 1990 something. Oh, that's interesting. So that's like, that's a tick in my box. I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We'll have to do an episode on that one. Again, people, don't sharpen your, your pitchforks and your, and your torches just yet. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. How many episodes are in season 10? So there are seven episodes in series 10, but we've already done one of them because we did the holdup at MadamCon. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Right. That's right. Okay. So there's, what, six episodes left? Yeah. So, th- so the original series will probably take us to the end of the year. And then, and then we'll start off the new year with some of our specials, and then we'll get into Grace and Favor, um, spring of 2023. No, spring of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, wow. All right. Well, hey, yeah. you know, it's good. I have some thoughts at the end of the, pro- of the podcast about this episode. We'll, we'll open that up later. But, yeah, I, I have some thoughts about – the reason I ask is I have, I've noticed some trends – in this episode, which are very interesting, but let's let's crack it open a little bit more. All right. So Mrs. Slocum turns up. the The lift bell rings. The doors open, and she's got a safari outfit on <laughs> with a, an over comically oversized butterfly net, binoculars, a wicker cage, the whole beige outfit, the whole thing. Right. She looks like um. What's the guy from Australia who got bit by the stingray? What's Steve his name? Irwin? Yeah. He looks like Steve Irwin, but she has like the tallest gr- yellow hair. Yeah. Like it's two feet, underneath, it's two feet underneath, tall. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Harmon calls her David <laughs> Bellamy at large. Um, David Belly was David Bellamy was a nature show presenter. If we were to make that joke today, we'd say David Attenborough, right? Oh. Yeah. He always did that joke, didn't he? Like, blimey, it's the lost tribe. Blimey, it's David <laughs> yeah. Bellamy at large. Yeah. yeah, he makes that joke a lot. Um, I've always been confused by the phrase at large, right? Because I think, especially when I think of like, um, sergeant at large or ambassador at large or like some position at large. And okay. I wondered, I wondered what the at large meant in this, um, in this context. And in generally, it just means roaming freely because it comes from an older, uh, the, like an older version of French version um, for at liberty. Allage meant at liberty. So if you have someone who is not, um, assigned to a particular office or a particular location, they are called the so-and-so at large. Oh. Yeah. A large. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah. 
when Captain Peacock puts two and two together and finally figures out what's going on and why Mrs. Slocum is two and a half hours late, he's uncharacteristically sympathetic. You know, I expected him to be to be understanding to a point and then start to be um, really chastising her for being so late for something as trivial as a cat. Right. Yeah, this is one of the things that I was kind of intimating that um, I've noticed a trend with this episode, and we talked about it in a couple of other so- episodes prior, that in the later seasons, it seems instead of like an exterior, um, an outer drama inflicting, no, I'm sorry, yeah. instead of the drama coming from within the team, within the department, now it's the entire team together united because they love each other, That's which really is something we yeah. experience in this episode. Um, and then they're reacting to some outside force. It's them against the world instead of the women, the ladies' department versus the gentlemen's department. Which was the original um, uh, setup, the original of the, of the program. Yeah, so I'm planting that seed, and we'll come and eat the fruit later in the episode, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, but I think, it, I think it's also a very good setup for the joke where Mr. Harmon is the one who gets to be um, really brash about it and asks about, <laughs> well, what about the 50p for her raffle ticket? She hasn't bought it yet, right? Okay, so for the world, 50p in 1983. Oh, you're going to make me do math? Like three bucks... Five bucks. You're gonna make me do math. All right, back. Wait. So what it was back then? Yeah. Or okay. So like, how much would that be? Like, if we were like, what does that mean to us now, in the states, not into 2021? Okay. So, what was 50p back then would be about two dollars today, which makes sense for a raffle ticket if you're doing like some kind of like inter-office, you know, fundraiser type thing, $2 sounds about right. But it still makes him cheap enough to not just spot her the money. Right, right, exactly, right? (laughs) Mr. Humphreys pays it for her, uh, and it turns out that the prize is a parrot. Because, of course, there, yeah, makes total sense, because the pet shop has got to give away this extra parrot. Man, they have a lot of damn animals in in, in Grace Brothers. A monkey, a parrot. A monkey and a parrot, right. Yeah. Um, he hopes that Mrs. Silkham wins the parrot because she's a very lonely person. Mm. She, she, she ought to be married by now, and this cat is the only thing that keeps her going. Yeah. We cut away to Mr. Rumbold's office, and Mrs. Axelby calls him. She calls Rumbold's mm. office, Miss Belfridge answers, and it turns out that they found a clockwork mouse at the edge of a well. <gasps> and so they can only fear the worst that the cat went down the well. Aww. Right. Uh, Mr. Rumble decides that as the manager of the department, he should be the one to deliver the bad news. Besides, tact and sensitivity are two of my strongest points, <laughs> which they are not, right? Because um, Blissfully it, unaware of his yeah. ability to do so. And he goes and proves it by letting Miss Belfridge know that the, dic- the letter she's been taking down as dictation to deny someone a rise in salary is intended for her. Because she asked for a rise in salary... And she was dictating her own letter from Mr. Hump, Mr. Rumbold that denies it. And then yeah. she says, Mr. Rumbold, who is this for? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's for you. I, my, I have such Very sensitivity and tact. Very tactful, right? Oh, my God. We cut on down to the canteen for their mid-morning coffee, which is after Eleven's is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mrs. Silkham isn't with them because she's gone to the nurse for a tranquilizer. <laughs> Mike, just take a sedative. Just take a tranquilizer, Mike. <laughs> and... Um, 
Mr. Spooner makes a joke, um, which was difficult to, to understand. Uh, yes, yeah, they, they make these new tranquilizers specifically for people who are, um, who are missing their cats or worried about their cats. Mm-hmm. Moggy dance. Right. Yeah, I don't understand what that means. I was waiting okay. for you to explain it. <laughs> so, so Mogadan is a, uh, a benzo that was around in, in the 70s and 80s. Same question. class of drugs as Valium and Ativan. What's a benzo? It's a class of drugs. So you have your narcotics, you have your benzoepidrines, you have your uh, whatever they are. Something adrenes. Uh, yeah. So it's in the same class of drugs like a Valium or an Ativan. Oh, Okay. Uh, okay. All right. And so muggy is a slang word for feline mutt. Okay. Like our so, sponsor for the episode, you mean. Right. Yes. So, it's, so it's not a pedigree cat. It's, it, it's the cat version of mutt. Good old-fashioned so, kitty cat. Muggy. Right. Yeah. Okay. I used to think that tabby was the feline word for mutt. But tabby actually refers to a pattern in their markings. If they, ha- if they have an M-like marking on their forehead, then that's a tabby. And I never knew that before. Interesting. I also yeah. was told during my times in the UK that England is cat, the States is dog. There's something about the culture where a house in, a ho- a house in the UK is not a home unless you have a cat. Mm-hmm. And I think you could say in the States generally that... If you're a dog person, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dog person. Uh, I love the little little monsters. Um, I don't know. Like growing up, cats were a weird thing in my family, but dogs were still a weird thing. But I love dogs. There's so, probably an infographic out there showing which countries are dog countries and which countries are cat countries. It would be interesting to know from the unanimous if you live in the states or the UK and which pet you have, or if you have parrot that you've won in raffles. And that's another <laughs> thing. I don't know. The staff agree that they're going to tell Mrs. Slocum the bad news themselves. They're not going to let Rumble do it because he does not have uh, charm, youth, vitality, and sensitivity intact, right? Correct. But they're going to wait until closing time because they don't want her Why ruin worrying her the day? whole day. Why ruin the day, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and throughout the day, we'll all be jolly and gay. <laughs> Mr. Spooner, hands up for jolly. <laughs> that's another they, – they, that's a recycled joke because I remember – uh, Mr. Lucas said, "I'll do. I'll do the. Let's keep. Let's keep. Let's, let's keep it light keep and gay. Light and gay. I'll do the light bit. Yeah. And then Humphreys shoots him some shade. Right. Love it. <laughs> shoots him the darts. So, yeah. uh, Mr. Slocum comes down, back down from the nurse. Turns out she hasn't taken the tranquilizers just yet, and she's thanking Mr. Humphreys for being so sensitive and so kind. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that you know they they talk every night. She calls him." Aww. She calls him every night so they can talk about Coronation Street. Without you and Tittles, I don't think my life would be worth living. And he responds, I feel exactly the same way, right? Aww. So there, there's the little love fest going on, and we think it's very special and dear. As you said before, you know, we've gone to see these, these co-workers really start to become family. Yeah, they're really there for each other. And the first, you know, 1973, 74 episodes, like season one, two, and three, um, you know, that's... Ten years, ten years ago, and if you think if you had a TV, no, granted, it's like a year and a half between seasons, and they only do like six episodes, which for the Americans that's very few. But I don't know if I were making a television show and I'm going on my you know tenth year working with these people, I wonder just my affection and affinity for these people 
that's going to change the way I write the characters. Like, the characters aren't going to hate each other. Maybe. Maybe they knew that they're only going to do this once, maybe twice more by now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to think about that. Yeah. But it's it's a very sweet kind of evolution. Like, there's so much we can talk about here, and I, I keep jumping ahead of myself. But, yeah, it's like, there's love, man. Like, it, this is the, <laughs> yeah, this is like the Woodstock episode of, <laughs> of you being served. Although, um, it's not the Way Out Boutique, but that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Slocum is explaining her affection to the rest of her staff. You know, you only have to look at Mr. Humphrey's eyes to know he cares about me in a special way. It's the same way Tittles looks at me when she's gone to be a good girl in the garden. (laughs) So she is so like enamored with her cat. She doesn't realize that's kind of gross. I do want to go back to the fact that they're watching Coronation Street, which we've talked a lot about. Yep. That it's like you can't have British culture without Coronation Street being mentioned. Right. Um, In the same way that like. Seinfeld and I Love Lucy and uh, the Cosby Show is for the states. I think maybe. Um, what was what was the drama that they kept mentioning? And remember, this is BBC, so the well, BBC doesn't produce Coronation Street, but it's just right. such an important thing. Um, right, Gary well, Barlow was that it? No, so they were talking about Ken, right? And Ken, oh, yes. Ken is like the main character of, like, the patriarchy of the main family. He's been there since the very first episode. The very first episode. And he's in his 80s, and he's still he's, on the he's show. He's still on the show, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, and there's a lot, you know, I bet you there's a lot of BritBox fans who listen to this podcast who also maybe watch Coronation Street. There's a lot of Coronation Street love on Twitter. So it's kind of cool whenever Our Being Served mentions Coronation Street. So you know what, fans, you know, even if you don't have BritBox, if you're watching Are You Being Served on your DVDs or on PBS or on some other method, if you have Hulu, you can get Coronation Street. They they play it, I think, a week out, but Hulu does have Coronation Street, and they might also have EastEnders. It's cool, too. Like, as an American, when I started watching Coronation Street, I don't watch it now. I I probably should. But... um, it's northern, and a lot of the comedy and mm-hmm. the jokes and stuff on Are You Being Served come from that. Like, Molly Sugden was, I Black think Peel. she was from Blackpool, right? Jo- Blackpool. Uh, John Inman was from east somewhere of Blackpool. Um, so, you know, it's, it's cool to see a lot of the, the humor and the, the, the terminology and stuff uh, that's still today. Like it's still. A, I think it's the number one show on UK TV. Maybe it's second or third. I don't know. But you can still watch it. They still make it, and they, you know, BritBox and Hulu. Yeah, there, there's a lot it. of self-deprecating slash pride in being northern jokes. There, um, Rosie Jones yeah. is a famous comedian in the UK right now. Um, she's got um, a toxic cerebral palsy, uh, and so she speaks very slowly. And part of her entire humor is the way she sets up her jokes. So one of her one of her favorite jokes when she is starting a stand-up set is she says, and as you can tell by the way that I speak, I suffer from being northern. Right? <laughs> and it, it, it's so hysterical. <laughs> oh my god. Right? It's like if you were from Alabama and you had a speech impediment where you had to speak very slowly. Or not even not even you word for Alabama if you're from like New York, but you sound like that cadence, yeah. that slowness. Um, That's cute. The manageress uh, comes and she distributes the menus, and she's in a she's not not so bad a mood, right? That's not that's not part of the humor yeah. there. 
Um, they're a little confused because it's only morning coffee, so why are they getting menus? Well, it turns out there's been a change to the subsidy, and they're now getting the executive menu at canteen prices. But some of the dishes are cordon bleu, so you have to order early. So they're a little bit fancy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it's weird, too, that like they've increased... Again, we talked about several weeks ago how in the UK, maybe more then than now, but your lunch would be subsidized by the right. employer. Like, you wouldn't have to pay 10 or $15 for a sandwich. You might have to pay two or three. Yeah. I don't but know, now, but then the like joke that. comes in that the chef has to know which tin to open, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly Cordon Bleu, which is a very famous um, uh, right. culinary school. Um, so when you say something is Cordon Bleu, it's like, oh, very fancy. Well... Only they're right. only opening cans of food. <laughs> However, Captain fancy. Peacock takes that as um, uh, as liberty to start throwing around Frenchisms, fr- French words in his uh, speech. Right? Oh, uh, oh, like he right. wants uh, to do. You're right. That is just a trifle gauche. And the manager looks at him like, "What? Oh, it's just, it's just a façon parler, right? It's just a matter of speaking." <laughs> Oh, we're all out of that. Try the halibut or something. <laughs> I love how um, how Captain Peacock. Of course, he has to like insert that he's you know of the quality. Oh, it's just a façon de parler, right. <laughs> it, which is French for oh, it's just something. Yeah, to just a say. matter of speaking, right? And, and, yeah, and, and, it's just so. This religious. is one of the greatest things about Frank Thornton in the entire series is his reactions, right? There, yes, his bug the, either eye his bug look. eye look or when he'll just be the, the straight man and not react at all. But this is one of those examples when the manager dress asks him to try the halibut. He throws his menu down in disgust and puts his head in his hands, right? Which yes, is hysterical. Yes, yes, yes. Mrs. Slocum wants a little bit of chicken, and uh, she, the manager starts uh, listing all the kinds of chicken they have. And in fact, they have young hen on the uh, menu today, which is um, Poussin. But in that lovely Cockney accent of hers, she calls it Pussin. So there's roast Pussin, cold Pussin, and Pussin in a basket. Oh, and of course, the entire time at lunch or whatever this meal is that they're having, everyone said, let's not mention it. Let's keep it light and gay and we'll talk about lighthearted things. And everyone was like doing their best. Like, oh, I remember when I was a little girl, I used to have this doll and it would open and shut its eyes and blah, blah, blah. And somehow, comically, everything was being interpreted by Mrs. Slocum as a cat reference somehow. And then this was just too much for her. She had to go and get the tranquilizer because she hadn't had it yet, right? Uh, Can you imagine going to work and serving people while on tranquilizer? Well, it was the the 80s where they were taking Secanols like they were M&Ms. Yeah, but everyone got addicted in the... Valley of the Dolls. (laughs) Sparkle, nearly sparkle. Um, In Rumble's office, Mr. Harmon is serving him afternoon tea and the staff come in. And they break the news. They haven't told Mrs. Slocum yet because they decide they want to buy her a kitten to bring, give her a new companion, right? Uh, Madam Wu is a pedigree that is on sale in the pet department for 50 pounds. And so they divvy it up among them and they ask Mr. Rumbold for a contribution of 10 pounds. Well, you're much closer to her than I am. It'll be sufficient for Miss <laughs> Belfridge and I to contribute five pounds altogether. What a tightwad, right? 
Oh my god. And I, I love, again, the, the love, the, the Woodstock of this episode. Miss, uh, Miss Brahm says, you know, for someone you love, what's 10 right. pay, What's ten quid? Again, like, we've never heard anyone on the show ever say anything about loving anyone on Well, we've got a couple floor. of other cues a little bit later on about just how close they are. So stay tuned for that. Um, Mr. Yeah. Rumble decides that his employee discount will be his contribution. That's the best they're going to get, and the staff leaves. <laughs> and it was interesting, too, because you see Miss Belfridge, um, the late, great Candy Davis, slash Mo Hader, slash... Contribute with everything. a pound note, um, like we were talking about last week, right? I know. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird, because, again, these days, you don't have notes, you have no. coins for pounds. So it's kind of cool you see paper one-pound note, which is... Historically kind of cool. Why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break and see if they have any more of that uh, Poussin in a basket? Oh, you've done it again. I can't take it. Uh, I'm going to have to go consult Mrs. Slocum. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. So, Mr. Brand, did you try any of that, any of that pussing in a basket? No, out of respect to Mrs. Slocum, I couldn't, but I made the mistake of having tuna salad, which apparently was Tittle's favorite dish, so <laughs> didn't think that one through. What'd you have? I just went up to the nurse and had two Milltowns and a Coke. I don't know, <laughs> but that sounds delicious. Milltowns are, Milltowns are another tranquilizer. Oh, so that's why you're kind of drooling. Okay, well, that, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Ay, ay, ay. So where were we? So back on the floor, Mr. Slocum addresses Miss Brahms as Shirley. Mm. And so this is a signal that this is a very confidential, personal conversation. Because she never, they never address each other on first names basis during working hours. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's only, you know, uh, at this Christmas party or when they've had a few or something like that. So, um, she's or when saying, she's fighting, I like you, Shirley. Well, that's when she was forced to uh, address (laughs) her. And she has to smile and she gives that fake. She's grinning through her teeth. I like you, Shirley. Um, She's confessing how much she cares for Mr. Humphreys. He Mm. means more to me than anything else in the world, except, of course, my pussy. Mm. Because we got, you know, I got to have a a pussy joke in there somewhere. Now, how does that fall on your spreadsheet algorithm thing about the placement of the pussy joke in the episode? Well, considering that Tittles is the main subject of this episode. <laughs> that is the X-axis. Th- right. The Y. I, 
I think it's great <laughs> that we didn't get it early on and we don't get it repeated. Mm. So I think if this if this were an earlier episode in an earlier series, we would have heard P-word jokes throughout the entire episode and it would have gotten stale. Do you like, audience, unanimous, how we use the P-word when we're not directly quoting out of respect? Because we thought about using the P-word in the joke at the beginning of the episode, but we didn't because it makes us feel icky. So there we go. There you go. <laughs> Over on the gentleman's calendar, Mr. Humphreys is uh, serving a customer who's looking for some underwear. Um, it's played by Norman Mitchell. Did he look familiar, Mr. Brandon? He did. He did. I mean, I assume he's played other uh, customers before, but I have a feeling there's more to it than that. He hasn't played a customer before. He's actually Uncle Wendell P. Clark. From you mean the Uncle Do you Take Wendell from America? From America. From the Texas. Who has a secretary? Secretary <laughs> with my forty-four caliber gun and my forty-four gallon hat. Oh my god! It turns out that the store has run out of wife fronts, so he tries to sell the customers some X fronts and some W fronts. <laughs> well, what's so the I'm difference? Just trying to imagine a couple of octaves. <laughs> <laughs> you can bring those back to Texas. So yeah, Uncle Wilmer P. What was the name? William Wendell P. Clark. Yeah. He was the one that was going to pay for the wedding for, for the, the wedding. Greek. Right. Oh, God. That was cool. And, of course, right. obviously, he's not American because now he's, like, wearing tweed and looks quite the part. Right. Uh, that's fun. Mr. Harmon gets uh, Captain Peacock's attention with a pea shooter, and he has <laughs> Matt... He has Madame Wu in the basket. Okay. So Captain Peacock concocts a ruse, send Mrs. Slocum up to accounts, and they start to figure out how they're going to make the presentation. And Mr. Harmon says, well, when are we, to coin a phrase, let the cat out of the bag? Which I thought was cute because that's literally what they're going to do. This is literally what they're doing. And so I was wondering what the origin of that was, why we talk about revealing a secret to be taking the cat or letting the cat out of the bag. So this has got a long history. Oh, please Buckle don't tell in. me it has something to do with a river. It has nothing to do with a river. Oh, good. Okay. No. So do you know the expression a pig in a poke? I've heard it, but I have a feeling I'll learn more about it very shortly. Right. So uh, when you have a pig in a poke, it means that you're about to um, sell something of value. Okay. Right? Because you're taking the pig to market to be slaughtered to sell for pork meat. So what is a poke? I always thought it was a Hawaiian dish. No, that's poke. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a poke is like a, a bag, a, a, a burlap sack, something like that size and that. Almost like a shape. purse or a satchel or a wallet in this case, I guess. No, no, bigger. Eh. Like something you could carry, literally carry a pig in. Oh, that's quite big. Okay. <laughs> okay. The only other major representation I think of this is in um, National Lampoon's European Vacation, where the Griswold family wins the game show in the beginning, which is called a pig in a poke. Okay. And Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Letting the cat out of the bag is the opposite of a pig in a poke because what people used to do in the Middle Ages, rather than selling a pig to market, which was expensive to raise, mm-hmm. and then being afraid they wouldn't get their money for it in the pork Yeah, meat, because it's big, and that's a lot more food that you, your family can't eat because the pig's eating it, right? What they would do sometimes instead is <gasps> sell a cat. No. But not already dead. They would because they, they wouldn't slaughter the pig to sell it in the poke. Runaway the, po- the pig would the pig would be alive. Maybe it would be tied up or sedated somehow. So they'd have like an animal 
in a sack trying to sell. And when you let the cat out of the bag, you're revealing the truth that it's not actually a pig, it's a cat. And the cat meows, jumps out of the bag, and runs away happily ever after. So no one is harmed and right. uh, vegetarians can rejoice. Right. Okay, so let me, let me summarize this because my brain yeah. needs to do this. So yeah. pig in a poke is a phrase we don't hear very much. We hear cat out of the bag. But right. pig in a poke means you use it when you're about to like sell a car you're gonna, you're, and you're going to get gonna lots of money. You're going to come into money. Right. Yeah. So you would take your pig and put your it live in pig. a big old bag and take it to right. market because pigs are expensive and it's a big sacrifice in the farm to raise a pig so you're going to get a lot of money for it right but instead you're not rich you're going to only take a cat in a bag and people think it's a pig but then when they open the bag and oh there's no pig it's actually a cat and the cat runs away and is escapes death and everything it's like what i was presenting is actually not what i had like, That's correct. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm actually not a millionaire. I uh, work at Starbucks and I make you coffee. Thank you very much. Right. You're revealing the truth. Okay. Well, yep. a, a gruesome yet um, informative uh, etymology moment with Mr. Jeff. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> so Mr. Harmon thought it would be a good idea to give Mrs. Slocum some flowers as well, right? Because they're giving her bad news. Tittles is presumed to be down the well. And Humphreys is a gentleman, and that's what you do. Right. So he, so Mr. Humphreys is rehearsing what he's going to say. I propose that we give you this cat, you know, Madam Wu, to be able to be your companion and blah, 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 whatever he says. Lovely They things, all love yeah. it. It's great. Mrs. Silkham comes back down from accounts. Well, I'm sorry that we actually, you know, we lied to you a little bit because we wanted to give you something. Mm-hmm. Mr. Humphreys takes the flowers out from behind his back and goes, I propose, and I accept. <laughs> she's so excited. She doesn't let him finish the sentence because she's, she's dreamed up in his head that he has the same kind of affection for her that she does for him. And there's been a couple episodes where, you know, she, like, comes on to Mr. Humphreys and she buys him, like, suede gloves and, like, <laughs> he can leave them on. And then he, like, freaks out, right? Right. Um... She has the hots for Mr. Humphreys, you know, man. Right. And it's so cute because you see Molly Sugden play one of the characters I love, either drunk or playing a little girl. And she turns into a little girl. Like she gets she does. giddy. It's so cute. I love That it. voice goes up high and shrill, or as high and shrill as she can get. Yeah. Right? It's karma. It's kismet. It's kiss me. And Mr. Humphreys faints on the basket. He faints, which is so, like, perfect for his character. That's exactly what he would do. And he faints on the wicker basket, which is waiting for him there with the cat inside it. And instantly Mr. Harmon wheels him away, which was just perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So Mr. Humphreys is doing a little bit of a a solo scene here. He's uh, on the phone to his mother. And he's not doing the trope of repeating what the other person is saying for the audience's benefit. He's having the conversation. You're not losing a son. You're losing a sofa. Well, I'm taking it with me until we've sorted out the sleeping arrangements. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I don't care what the neighbors say. Tell them I've joined the foreign legion. Yeah, because yeah, he, can't, the... he can't let them know that he's shacking up with a woman somehow. Right. Somehow. Right. Because, well, they're never going to believe it. I mean, the vicar will be surprised, not to mention the organist. (laughs) And what he would be surprised about, they don't say, but we know what he'd be saying, especially that organist. Right. Hello. 
Have you seen him grinding his organ, Jeff? In Mr. Rumble's office, he's pouring some bottled champagne, not Japanese tin champagne, but bottled champagne. Well, it's, it's the Thatcher years, you know, they've, they've come up in the world. Right. Captain Peacock and Miss Brahms uh, cheers each other. Miss Brahms leads by saying, cheers, Stephen. <gasps> and here, here, she, he responds, you know, cheers, Shirley. Another example yeah. of, the, of the staff addressing each other on first names terms during working hours. Like, obviously, this is a little bit of a social hour, but very, very forward for the junior to address the floor walker on first names terms, unless they really are as close as a family as yeah. we think they and are. I think, yeah, I've never, we've not mentioned that they are a family so far, but that's a great way to describe it. Yeah. Um, also, if you think about Miss Brahms, like, She's got gray hair in this yeah. scene, you know? Like, she's not a 22-year-old, like, you know... She's a 40-year-old junior. Yeah. But, I mean, it's also an age thing. But, yeah, she, they're, they're, they're a family. And I think, you know, you know, we're all getting older. If you work with someone for, let's say, 15 years. Let's just say 15 years. Mm -hmm. They're no longer your co-workers, especially, like... Um, you know, Mr. If, if you get along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of them are single. A lot of them in the, on the show, except, you know, Captain Peacock has his wife and I think that's, no, that's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Rumble has his wife, but everyone the senior, else. Is, the senior has always had wives, but yeah, it's just the four of them left. No, they're, the yeah, rest of them so, but like, yeah. especially like Miss Brahms and Mrs. Slocum, like they're thick as thieves. And Mr. Humphreys has his assortment of friends, both but male I and female. But I was as thick as a thief. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Miss um, Cathay Knight. Um, but yeah, it's really sweet to see how they really form that cohesive thing. And that's something without taking the time and really observing each episode here on the podcast, I would have never realized how sweet it is. Like if you work with some people for 15 years and you get along with them and you're all kind of single, you kind of become each other's, you know, people you talk about your day to, you know? Because like you're there with them for like a third of the week. Yeah, like you're you're with your co whether you like it or not, you're with your coworkers far more than you are with your family, right? So yeah. if you have no family at home, the people at work become pretty important in your life. I have a theory that, and I'll give this to you for free. The people you you give your little daily updates to, your brain doesn't think of them as family, but in a way, they kind of take the place of someone. Like, you see mm -hmm. them all the time, you know. And you see your family all the time when you're a kid. And you give them updates or whatever. You call your mom or whatever. But, yeah, it's, it's, I think we're seeing that on the show. And maybe there's a little bit of camaraderie. Like, you know, we've been doing this television show for a long time. Um, let's have them be a little bit more friendly towards each other. Because we're not going to be doing this much longer. Maybe it's just a nicer... Yeah. more fun show to do. I don't know. But then again, also being really mean to each other would be more fun as well. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be interesting for us to look out for this in series 10. Like see, yeah, figure yeah. out where is, where is the conflict? Is it us against the world or is it gentlemen versus ladies or juniors mm. versus seniors or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So Mr. Harmon brings in Mr. Winston into Mr. Rumble's office and he's the new writer for the staff magazine. Uh, he's played by Peter Cleall. Uh, who is better known as uh, Detective Bolsover on Spooner's Patch from 79 to 82, but earlier as um, Eric Duffy in Please, Sir, uh, from 68 to 71, mm -hmm. and its sequel, The Fen Street Gang, from 71 to 73. 
So he was pretty uh, well known to the British. He public. was he was recognizable, right? Okay. Oh, he's that guy from 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 that show or whatever, right? And so his his gag is that he first mistakes Captain Peacock and Miss Brahms for the happy couple, then mistakes Mister Rumbled and Miss Belfridge mm-hmm. as the happy couple. Yeah, yeah. And goes on writing what the headline is going to be and trying to make exposés about how they met each other, etc. So they're not paying any attention to him. But Mr. Harmon says he's from Fleet Street. So this is another example of synecdoche. Not schenectady, but synecdoche. Like You're saying the same word week. twice, but go on. <laughs> so what Mr. Harmon is trying to say is that he's, a, he's a, an important journalist, right? Fleet Street is the place in London where all the major newspapers were. So if you say Fleet Street, that is a, a representation for journalism. So like if you said Wall Street, that means you do stocks and bonds and stuff. You're in finance, right? Yeah. So when you were trying to play back last week your understanding of synecdoche, you had given the definition as a place being a substitute for a thing. And that is one example of it. Okay. But it's more about a part representing the whole. So, for example, uh, when we say, like, the suits as a replacement or a substitute for um, executives, okay. right? It's, it's because they wear, they tend to wear suits. If you say the brass, meaning military officers, it's because brass are part of their uniform. Hmm. If you say, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up a lemonade stand and make me some green. Green is synecdoche for money because green is part of of money, at least here in the States. We're not talking about marijuana, are we? No, no. Okay. <laughs> A little confusing. Right. Um, yeah, but when he said Fleet Street, I instantly thought of, like, the muckrakers, like, the Guardian uh, Daily Mail kind of thing. J- just the opposite. He's trying to play up how important it is. Oh. Like he's, a, he, he's had a long career in... Um, well-respected papers. But it's interesting because he kept trying to sensationalize everything and make it like a tabloid title, which is why I thought... And that, and that's why they all were playing him off. That's why they all thought he was like from The Sun or something like, like that. Like a reputable no. newspaper. No, he's from The Times or something like that, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it sounded like he was like tabloid trash kind of thing because the way he was pulling up the titles and... I don't know. I, I know I, that the British press is notorious, not, not necessarily like the London Times, but like, you know. The tabloids. The tabloids yeah. are notorious. Yeah. So. And that's why he had to say, he's from Fleet Street. He's important. He's well-respected. Change your opinion of him, mm, right? Okay. So Mr. Slocum gets, comes in. He, she gets introduced as the, the, the bride-to-be and asks for her age. And she goes, well, I never give my age, but let's just say I'm in my very early 40s. <laughs> Captain Peacock does a spit take, and we have already established that this cast is not good at spit takes. <laughs> yeah. Because every time that Mrs. Slocum tries to do one, she just ends up dribbling into her cup. I think the only one who's ever done a good spit take is Mr. Humphreys. Mr. Humphreys, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no jokes there. Um, but I, <laughs> I think, um, guys know what I'm talking about. I think um, maybe because they're all so close and like it's not a big set i don't know like if they did a big spit take it would have been like on it would have ru- it would have ruined the costume right especially yeah. when you look where mrs silkham's mark was and where captain peacock yeah. was yeah it would have gotten all over her her good dress there's i will uh, say there are some good photos that i've been seeing on facebook groups of the set 
from like the audience and it was like in the middle of the apartment episode um and it's a oh that's a good wait yeah wait the the apartment from season five or the apartment one coming up in season 10 Oh, uh, the first one, not the second okay. one. Yeah, the okay. earlier one, uh, where come come here, Mister Humphreys, and give me a baby. That's <laughs> that's the 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 further episode. I'm talking about the last one. But yeah, right. um, it was a very small stage, and like especially Mister Rumbo's office, it's very very cramped in there. Like, there's a reason why they're all on top of each other because there's no space. So yeah. if she if they did do a big old spit take, it would have gotten on everything. So yeah, that's true. interesting. So Warwick is holding up Mr. Humphreys again because he's a bit drunk. He's gone off to the off license for just a bottle of gin and tonic. <laughs> just a bottle. And, and Mr. Mrs. Slocum is upset. Well, surely you don't object to me having a little one. Pause for double entendre joke, right? A little pee-pee or a little drink. And they, and, they, and they do this bit where they're fighting and then they pause to smile in between fights so that the... Um, the photographer, yeah. ...to take their picture, but he's got to advance his film and they continue their fight. So it's great. So we get that back and forth for a cute. little bit. And of course, Mr. Humphreys so, Johnman like loses it a little bit and he was supposed to like instantly turn his neck so he can be in for the, for the photographer and he kind of forgot and it kind of <laughs> ruined it a little bit. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's basically a live show, really. Yeah. So. Mr. Yeah, because they, they film it in one take. There there yeah. weren't, you know, this isn't a, a three-camera show where they can uh, reposition and recut everything, right? Right. So then uh, Mr. Winston is asking for Mr. Humphrey's age, and he also doesn't give his age, but instead says, well, life, if life was a train ride from London to Manchester, I'd just have gone through Birmingham. Which means he's about, like, 25. So we need to well, break this that, down, I think, a little right, bit. Right, okay. So nowadays, a train ride from London to Manchester on the Virgin Express Pendolino is two hours. Okay. And going from London to Birmingham is an hour 20. And if life expectancy in the UK was in 1983 was 75 years, so is Mr. Humphreys trying to say 50? I don't think so. I feel like the train ride from London to Manchester was longer then. I feel it was probably closer to like four hours. Well, I think more about, like, not the the train travel time, but I'm thinking just, like, as the crow flies, as they say. Because Birmingham is not quite halfway to Manchester. It's No, just Birmingham before. is very close. It's very close to London compared to Manchester. Absolutely. Right. So that's kind of, I mean, I'm trying to think if we want to, like, do an American version of this. Like, let's say we are in... On the train ride from Boston to Washington... I'm in Providence or I'm in New Haven. Yeah. I remember trying to make this joke once. And of course I, I have a bad history of making Ari being served jokes. All right. So, so all right, sorry, do a West coast, do a West coast version from San Francisco to Los Angeles. I just have gone through. Okay. okay. So you do an East coast. <laughs> so you do an East coast version and I'll do a West coast version and then we'll do a coast to coast version. We'll, we'll, we'll cover our bases. How about that? Okay. So if, if life were a train ride from Boston to Washington, I'd have just gone through Providence. Okay, so that's what, a little bit before halfway. No, it's very early on. Oh, all right, so is he trying to, like, would he say New York then? Yeah, I've just, be, I'd be, I just have left New York. Okay, so okay, oh, that's I get pretty that. good. Okay, so in California, um, if I lived, if life was, a, tra- if life was a, a car ride from L.A. to San Francisco, I had just passed Bakersfield. Okay, I buy that for a dollar. Yeah, eh, seventy-five cents. Um, okay, coast to coast. If we if life were a tr- a road trip 
from LA to New York, I had just passed Chicago. Topeka is funnier. Um, Albuquerque. I don't know. Albuquerque, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have signed left at Albuquerque. Right. But Mr. Spooner comes in with the, with the punchline on the express, right? Because, uh, yeah, because it, it, it's a lot quicker to Manchester than he thinks. It, except, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you get the joke. Mr. Humphreys is old. Okay. <laughs> but it's funny because he's had gray hair since, I think, John Inman since he was in his late 20s. And his first episode, 1972, he had gray hair, although it was But they, they, they played it off as platinum blonde, and that's what they still do. Well, I hope yeah. when I'm gray, I can say, oh, no, it's platinum blonde, you'll see, <laughs> behind my that's cat the, eyeglasses. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Axelby calls into Mr. Rumble's office again with news from Mrs. Slocum. <gasps> they found Tittles, and he, she's had six babies from Emperor Chong, the Bank of Bangkok, the five-time treble champion. Oh, my God. So this has been a joke out. that had been repeated throughout the entire episode that Mr. Harmon always interjected to make sure that they knew that Madame Wu, the cat they were buying mm. for Mrs. Slocum, yep. was sired from Emperor Chong of Bangkok, five-time triple champion. Which I don't really... I remember as a kid watching this episode, I'm like, why are they keep saying five-time triple champion? I don't get it. And now as an adult, I think it's just not a very good joke. <laughs> No, it's not. I mean, the play, the play on the words is when they all repeat it because they've heard it over and over again from Mr. Harmon. Yeah. Because he kept saying she knows about cats. She, like, knows who's pedigreed. She'll appreciate that. And Mrs. Slocum is the one to say, oh, he, I know who it is. It lives just down the road. It's the triple, you know, but she says it and they all follow. That's what the joke is. It has nothing to do about the fact that he actually is pedigreed. It's that... She says this thing that they've been hearing all day. But I remember, again, you know, we've all, you know, I've mentioned on the show, I remembered watching these series uh, when I was 12 or 13, even not watching them, but hearing the audio on the radio. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would always key into things that sounded foreign, like uh, bubble and squeak or, I don't know, like, like food or places or, or, or uh, terms. that Bristol. I. Yeah, Bristol, uh, Manchester City. Um, but, and one of the weird things is like, I've never, I guess when I was a kid, I never heard the, t the term five-time triple champion. Oh, yeah. That's a weird It totally sentence. could be, it totally could be Cockney rhyming slang for something. But just five-time triple, five and triple and what? Yeah. You know, just weird things like that. So it, watching it as an adult, this episode was like, that's right. That phrase they always say confused me. And Emperor Chong of Bangkok, uh, uh, what does that mean? Like, is that a dog? Is that a cat? Like, how? Who? So it, it just it really confused me as a kid. No. It's kind of funny. Mrs. Slocum calls off the wedding <gasps> unexpectedly because she's got six kids to raise now, <laughs> and she won't be ready until they're all grown up. Aww. And then we get this god-awful ending to it. We couldn't just leave on Mr. Humphreys promising to wait for her. She ends up winning the, the stupid raffle that went nowhere. But Mr. Ms. Slocum can't take the parrot now because she's got six kittens at home. <laughs> so Mr. Humphreys takes the bird because, it, because the, the prop learned to speak, I'm free. 
So this whole thing was a setup just so we could hear the parrot say, I'm free, just like Mr. Humphreys does. And then Mr. Humphreys says, and I am too, because right. he's free of Mrs. Slocum. Yes. You know, I, and that's the end of the episode, right? And that's the idea of and the episode. It. Yeah, I mean, it's all canon. Don't worry, Unanimous. We are not besmirching the holy show. No, um, no, 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 no. Hold up a second. Time out. Uh-oh. Are we besmirching the show? <laughs> no, we're not besmirching the show. I'm questioning, I'm questioning the canon of it. Okay. Because Mrs. Slocum has a bird at home. She has Winston, the canary, at home. So what is she going to do? How long do birds live in this timeline of... Oh, uh, that's thing? true. Mm. That's true. But, I mean, I suppose if... if and this is kind of what I was intimating earlier. Um, it's a love fest. They are family. It's them against the world. Even management, even Mr. Rumbold, it seems like there's not that class thing where, like, whether or not no, they like it. No, there totally is, because he won't pay. Well, yeah, but it's, it's not like they're all against him. He's just, that that's like a little that, part he, of his personality. He, he's separating himself from them. That's yeah, true. but but the drama of the episode was nothing to do with management, was nothing yes, to do with, yes, you're right. you know, I mean, you still have, you know, essentially the, the floor staff are all lower middle class, whether Mr. Captain Peacock thinks he is or not. He really is lower middle class. So they have this, and then you have, you know, Rumbled or whatever. But I also noticed that um, that John Inman, I also noticed that John Inman and Mr. Humphreys had a pretty damn prominent role in this episode. And then mm-hmm. if I th- thought back to other episodes, it's a lot of him, right? Lo- not very much um, Wendy Richard, uh, Miss Brahms. Mm-hmm. And that's because he was the number one star. Like, it was supposed to be Mr. Lucas, Trevor Bannister, and that didn't work. And then he went off to the West End and whatever. And now it's almost like, okay, what do we have left? We have Mr. Humphreys. People love him. They love the phrase, I'm free. Um, And remember, I don't know if it's between the ninth and tenth season or somewhere else. He goes off to Australia and does an Australian version of Are You Being Served? Yep. So he's super hot stuff. Um, I suppose maybe in every episode, they're going to say the words, I'm free, somewhere. So why not have a parrot do it? But No, I guess. It's kind of weird. What are we talking about next week, Mr. Brandon? Well, um, I think I remember this one. Um, It's the season premiere of season 10, Goodbye, Mrs. Slocum. And I believe this is the one where they do some sort of cost-cutting thing or seniors, retirement, something, something. Yeah. And they essentially She's forced get, to retire. They get rid of her, and then she comes back as, like, a maid. Yeah. Cleaning woman. As the cleaner. And, yep. oh, my God. I love John Inman episodes. I love Molly Sugden episodes. And this is definitely a Mrs. Slocum Molly Sugden episode. So that's yeah, going to be This exciting. is going to be a good one, yeah. Yeah. So if people wanted to get in touch with us like our lovely Unanimous fans did... How would they do so, Mr. Jeff? Well, you've got several options. I would not recommend s- sending a parrot or, you know, sending... Homing pigeon. A, it's not very... Pigeon. It's very it's, hot in the northern Mississippi and, you know, the river's yeah. tough to cross. <laughs> you can get in touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can write us an email at that does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. You can call the Peacock hotline at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. Or you can grab some of our merch at the Bargain Basement Shop at imfree.threadless.com. 
Hashtag sellout. And of course, Mr. Jeffrey, as always, you've, you've all, all done, done very well. Bye, unanimous. Bye-bye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are you being served as a copyrighted program of the BBC? Adoptable animals will be vaccinated and spayed or neutered prior to moving to their new homes.